0: April the 7th, and it'll be about, be about an eight-week series um, here at the end of the school year. So uh, today we are continuing, this is actually the last week of our Ask Anything series, and you guys nominated 10 questions, and we took your questions, and you guys voted on the questions, and um, today is the number one question that was, uh, that was voted on today. So the question is, how do I confront someone in sin? Now, um, which I thought was really interesting that you'd ask a question like that, and I'm really proud of you guys for your last two questions deal with the topic of community. Like, how do I reach people? How do I love people? How do I um, respond in community with, with certain situations that come up in your life? So, um, so we're dealing with this question today, and there's one thing I want to say about this, and you know this to be true, that sin breaks relationships, not just with us and God but with us and other people and i'm sure many of you in the room can, can can attest to that you've seen this happen in your own life that whenever a relationship gets broken not just between us and God but between you and somebody else it always can be linked back to somebody sinned somebody didn't repent somebody didn't forgive and this is the pattern that we see even in human relationships and i know that many of you are burdened by this topic because you've seen friends not just sin against you or sin against somebody else, but you've seen friends, you've had friends that have walked off into a lifestyle of sin. These are people that claim to be Christians that have walked off into a lifestyle of sin, and you're left wondering, how do I approach this? How do I confront this? How do I love them? I can't just sit here idly and just go, yeah, yeah, that's fine. That's fine to do that, you know? And so I know many of you have this this question, and so the question is, how do we... Lovingly, gently, come alongside someone and confront, but do it in a way that is is God glorifying and honors Christ and the gospel. Um, You may not believe this to be true, or some of you may believe this to be true, but when I was in college, I was harsh. I really was. And I still can be sometimes. But I lived in this house with a bunch of guys, and whenever you live in a house with a bunch of guys, you gotta have some rules. Otherwise, things go crazy. And so we had different, each guy had their own little spot in the house. It was like their spot. They were in charge of that spot. And for some reason, I was nominated to take care of the kitchen area, which meant I had to clean it once a week, but I also had to enforce the kitchen rules. Well, there were a lot of kitchen rules. Things like, don't leave any dishes in the sink, because as you know, with guys, it would start to pile up pretty high. And so that was the rule. So my job was to enforce the rule. And since I tend to be a bit more legalistic and rule-based in my personality, that's just my sin, <laughs> just the way it, the way it is, um, I was a rule enforcer. And the thing is, I was the, the youngest guy in the house before. I was 19. Next oldest guy was 23 or 24. So they already saw me as like, oh, who are you? You're like, the, you're like beneath the rookies. You're not even JV. You're like on the freshman squad. So um, that's how they viewed me coming in. But I had to, um, so what happened is there'd be a guy who's cooking dinner. He'd leave his stuff in the sink. And so I began to have this thing where I would say, look, if a guy's going to leave his stuff in the sink, if he goes out on a date with his girlfriend, I'm just going to politely pick up all the stuff from the sink and go put it outside on the front porch so that when he comes home tonight, he'll see it on his way into the house, Right? This is how I'd respond. And so, um, over time, some guys did not heed that warning and they kept doing this over and over again. So it got to a point where I would just get angry and I began to throw things onto the front lawn from the front door. And there were a few frying pans that were thrown across our yard because I was just like, not in the sink, it's going out into the yard. It was like a Frisbee, right? And so, um, which I'm thinking back now, I'm sure people walking by our house were like, why is that guy throwing a frying pan onto the front lawn? That makes no sense. And so I had this like harshness when it came to confronting people with, with stuff like that. Um, in high school, I was on a mission trip with my youth group and I had a good, name, good friend named Paul. And Paul was like the center of attention type guy, strong personality. All the girls loved him. All the girls wanted to date him. He was the kind of guy that, like, would be the biggest jerk to girls, but they, like, loved him for it. Like, that kind of guy. You know what I'm talking about? And, uh, and so, yeah, there was some jealousy from me and my friends towards him for that reason. We're still friends with this guy. But at times, he would just be, like, this really overbearing, annoying dude. And so on this mission trip, this thing, like, came to a head where um, he and I are about to start fighting in this hotel room. And the entire guy side of the youth group is watching this unfold. Even the youth pastor is like, I want a piece of him too, right? And, uh, and so um, we had this verbal confrontation, and we finally simmered down. And the youth pastor sits us down, and he says, let's just talk through this for a bit. And he said, Dave, I've noticed something with you. What you tend to do is you will avoid, 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 then explode. And I said, that sounds about Right? sounds about what, what kind of person I am. And I still struggle with that. When it comes to confrontation, I tend to avoid, 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 then it's explode, right? And the person's like, where'd that come from? And it's been building up and building up. And I think many of you are in that same place where you, you tend to be like a time bomb where you just avoid, 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 then you explode on someone. And these are not healthy patterns when it comes to how you confront, uh, Wrongdoing in the body of Christ. So, um, so we're going to look at this idea today. How do you confront someone who's in sin? Uh, the first question I want to answer is: When do I confront someone? When do I confront someone? Before we get to how, let's talk about when, because today's talk is really mainly geared towards Christians confronting other Christians or so-called Christians. I'm referring to those that claim to be Christians here. How do you confront someone? Who's in sin, who's walking in sin, that's a fellow believer or claims to be a fellow believer. The first thing is this you've got to make sure it's a sin, whatever they're doing, and not just a preference. So, for example, if someone is um, sexually active with their boyfriend or girlfriend, that's a sin, obviously. That needs to be confronted in love. If someone is, uh, I would say, drinking underage, getting drunk, those kinds of things. That's a sin that needs to be confronted. If someone is listening to Justin Bieber, that's a sin that needs to be confronted. Okay, so we'll put that in the preference category, but I will do it reluctantly. So, But 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 that might be a preference. Like, they just happen to like that particular music. Now, we have a different debate about music and media. That's a whole different debate. But when it comes to certain neutral things like that, um, those might be preferences and not necessarily sin issues. But some people think it's their right to confront everything. These are people that I call venters. They just vent all the time about stuff. And Proverbs 29 11 talks about this kind of person. It says, a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. And when I read that verse, I couldn't help but think about Facebook because here's the deal. Some people, let me just tell you just briefly what I see happening among some of you is you will post these subliminal messages that are directed at another person individually, but you put it in public for everyone to see and it's confrontational in nature And this verse, I think, would call that sin, because what you are doing is you are giving full vent to your spirit, and you are not acting like a wise person and quietly holding it back, because there's a way to confront, there's a way to do this the proper way, and it just blasts someone on Facebook when everyone else knows who you're talking about, but you're pretending like no one knows who you're talking about, but everyone knows who you're talking about, and so it is not your... God-given right to vent. It's not. And venting never fixes anything. This would also include venting to a friend about what someone else has done to you before you talk to that friend about what they've done to you. This is the kind of person who says, you know, that's just my personality. I'm just, I just have to vent to get it off my chest. Like, well, aspects of our personality can be sinful, And this kind of person says things like, that's just who I am. Like, y'all need to deal with it. It's like, no, you need to deal with it and to admit that it's sinful and wrong to do that because it's harming the body of Christ. It harms the body of Christ. And so it's not that the wise person doesn't feel it. This verse says that the person who's wise, yeah, they feel it, but they're quietly holding it back because they're being controlled by the Spirit. And so, if you're someone who's got a friend who is constantly venting, constantly venting to you about other people, I want to warn you because you got to beware because eventually it's going to turn on you. Eventually, they're going to vent about you to someone else, and that's going to be a broken relationship. So, with that, go ahead and discuss questions one to four at your tables. Go ahead and discuss the first four questions. All right, so we have a lot of passages to get to this morning, and we'll have some time for more discussion here at the end as well. So the question, the big question we're confronting today is how do I confront someone in their sin? I want to be really clear this morning. I am talking about a Christian who is confronting another Christian or someone who calls himself a Christian, and this person is intentionally and willfully disobeying God in a certain area of their life, right? That's what I'm talking about here. Now, every single person is struggling with sin. I'm not talking about you having to go and confront a person who's already admitted they struggle with um, whatever it might be, and they're trying to work through that and deal with that. That's not what we're talking about. We're, we're addressing the, the willful, intentional, blatant disobedience of God and God's Word in a certain area of someone's life. That's, what we're, that's how we're approaching this this morning. So Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So the first thing to keep in mind when you're confronting someone in this situation is you've got to be gentle. You've got to start out just being very soft and delicate and gentle with how you're approaching it with this person. So when you, think, when you hear words like soft, you think tender, delicate. Picture a pillow. You're like a pillow, right? Um, not like a hammer, Many confront like a hammer. There's hard edges, there's metal involved, there's blood. It's just, it's awful. And so, so you cannot confront this way. You can't confront this way. Um, think more pillow and a little less hammer. That's the way you need to go. And because here's the reality. Listen, listen. Because how you speak, listen up, listen up. How you speak the truth is going to determine if they receive the truth. How you speak truth will determine if they receive truth. So if you want to confront someone and you've got some really good things to say to them, the way in which you say it is going to determine whether or not they receive it. So if you want to waste your words and waste your time, then yeah, be really harsh and brutal. But if you want them to receive what you're saying, then you've got to be gentle in your confrontation with someone. Look at Romans chapter 12, verse 18. It says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. You've got to be peaceful as you're approaching someone in this situation. Now, let's be honest. Sometimes it's not in your control. At times, being at peace with people is not under your control because someone else is just bent on not being at peace with you. That does happen sometimes. But whatever is under your control, you've got to live at peace with people. And what I would say is harmony and peace may not be possible, but a Christian, a believer, should not be the reason for the lack of peace. A Christian should not be the reason for there being no peace between you and somebody else, right? The next passage is uh, Matthew chapter. We'll spend some more time on this one. Matthew 7, verses uh, 1 to 5. Go ahead and turn there if you can. Um, Matthew 7, 1 to 5. This is probably the most, one of the most famous passages, one of the most misquoted passages in all of Scripture, especially verse 1. So Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. And verse 1, I would say, is the most often taken out of context verse in the whole New Testament. Verse 1 says, Judge not that you be not judged. Verse 2, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. So I want to stop for a moment and just talk verse by verse here. But especially on television, verse 1 is the most quoted verse. when it comes, Whenever Christians are talking about sin issues and stuff like that, um, the media likes to spit this verse back at Christians and say, well, your Bible says judge not lest you be judged. <laughs> and they're kind of laughing, like, okay, it does, but... You didn't read the rest of the passage. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, but verse 1 is one of the most often misquoted, taken out of context verses in the whole of the New Testament. And so people stop at this verse. But here's what this verse is talking about. Jesus is speaking to self-righteous Pharisees. And these are people that would, con- that would condemn and judge people in a harsh and brutal way. And this is referring to sharp and unjust criticism of certain kinds of people. And and so the Pharisees, they would judge other people, but they but they forgot they would be judged by God. They thought they were the judges and that God was gonna sort of pass over them because they were good and everyone else is bad. And so this is referring to like a harsh, judgmental, critical spirit, someone who's just always seeing other people in that light. This is who it's talking about. And so if you talk a lot about other people's sin issues and don't talk that much about your own sin issues, this verse applies to you. And it's human nature to see everyone else's tiny little faults but not see our glaring weaknesses as we point out their faults and judge them for it. So look at verses 3 and 4. It says, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye. So, look at the picture of what Christ is trying to portray here. This is actually a pretty comical, vivid picture when you think about it. I mean, how foolish would it be? Just imagine this for a minute. How foolish would it be if you've got a a two by four sticking out of your forehead, out of your eyeball socket, and you're walking up to your friend and your friend's looking at you like, what is wrong with you? And you look at your friend with your one good eye that's still, working properly and you're like you got something in your eye and no one else can see it except for you because it's a tiny little speck yeah you got something in your eye and, and he's like um okay and 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 you've got a two-by-four sticking out of your face i mean yours is injuring people as you walk by them people can't even see mine with the naked eye right and so just imagine this physical scenario playing out, but this is exactly what you and I do spiritually with people if you, if, you, if you look at the analogy in that way. This is what we do. We've got some major, major glaring weakness and scenario in our life, and we point out the tiny little weakness in someone else. When our issue is glaring, theirs might be a speck, but our issue is glaring. This is what the Pharisees were doing to people. And so the first thing you have to do before you confront someone is be reflective. You've got to be reflective. You've got to have this inner dialogue that says, I want to examine myself before I go and confront somebody else in their sin. I've got to examine my, I've got to ask other, other people. Say, I have to say things like, look, um, I'm going to talk to so-and-so about some stuff, like, but do you see anything in my life that I need to be aware of before I talk to them about their issue? Like, please let me know. Like, please let me know where I'm at. Where are you thinking about before I confront somebody else in their sin? And so before you confront someone, examine yourself. And the point of it is you, can, you, you examine yourself so you can see clearly to help someone else. That's the point of the passage. And so here's an example. If your friend is looking at pornography, but you're having sex with your boyfriend, then you might want to repent before you ask them to. That's what's being described here. Like, that person who's, like, sexually involved with their boyfriend or girlfriend probably shouldn't be the one to go to the person who's looking at pornography and say, I'm not saying pornography is just a little speck. I'm saying it's a big deal. I'm just trying to give you an analogy that that might help you understand what's being said here. That person might not be the best candidate to go and help that other person in the midst of of what they're going through. Then look at verse 5. It says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So watch this. This is a verse everyone, everyone forgets, tends to forget. So, so why do you remove the log? Why do you take care of your own issues? It's so you can help your friend with their issues. That's why you're doing this. And so people that quote verse 1, they leave out verse 5, which says, no, you're in the church, we're supposed to be discerning. We're supposed to judge in a certain way, just not be hypocritical as we do it. And we, we're gentle as we do it. We're reflective as we do it. But we're still supposed to do it. And so if someone quotes verse 1, they've got to quote verse 5 as well to say, look, no, we, we shouldn't judge in a harsh, critical, condemning way in the ways that the Pharisees did, but we really should be discerning. And, and judge sin for what it is, but be gentle and reflective in our confrontation of sin in the body of Christ. I also want you to see something really important, too. Look what it says. Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. What it's saying is that even something as small as a speck needs to be dealt with and handled How many of you in the room, when you get something in your eye, no matter how small, it it could be an eyelash, it's hugely irritating, right? I mean, something really, really tiny in the eye is a big, big deal. And everything else in life, you stop, you're like, where's a Q-tip? I got to find a Q-tip. I got to have a Q-tip to get this thing out of my eye. That's what happens to you. And the same is true with sin, that even the smallest, tiniest thing needs to be dealt with. But it's got to be done in a loving way. Look at Matthew 18, verses uh, 15 to 17. Matthew 18, verses 15 to 17. And it says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone. Between you and him alone. I'll say it again. Between you and him alone. You got it? If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Once again, this is for someone who claims to be a Christian and someone who is intentionally, willfully walking in in disobedience to God's word. And it says between you and him alone. So here's the deal. So if someone, listen, I'll I'll reiterate it again. If someone sins against you and you post about it on some form of social media, this verse is calling that a sin. I want to be really clear today. If someone sins against you and you go to social media with it, this verse is calling that a sin because you have not gone to the person between you and him alone to deal with the sin. Now, why is this verse calling that a sin? I'll explain this. Because what happens when someone sins against you and you take it to someone else or broadcast it somewhere for everyone else to see now you're, you're stacking sin on top of sin. Because what happens is, eventually when you do confront that person, they're going to be thinking about the fact that you posted it everywhere on Facebook and who knows, who knows where else, and they're now mad about that, and they're right to be mad about that, and now they're not going to see clearly to deal with the sin that you need to confront in a loving and gentle way. And so you are stacking sin on top of sin on top of sin, and you never really can at that point really get to the core of what the problem is, which was the initial sin. It clouds everything. There's a reason why God tells us this stuff. It's a lot better than the way that we do things. So look at um, the verse again. I want you to see this. The, the goal. The goal is to persuade him. It says to gain him. You've, you've gained your brother if he listens to you. And so the point is not to win an argument. The point is to win the person. The point is not just to say, hey, I was right and you were wrong. The point is to say, I I love you. I care for you. I want us to be unified. But we've got this issue separating us for now. But I hope that's not the case tomorrow. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Verse 16. It says, but if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. It sounds a little bit like a courtroom, doesn't it? But on the, on the one hand, that's partly true. In Jewish culture, for a witness to be legit, there had, for, for something to be legit, they'd have truthy witnesses witness the event. And so what's being said here is if someone does not listen to your initial confrontation with them sinning against you, what do you do? You take a brother or sister in Christ along with you to say, okay, now we need to talk to you about this. It's still done in a a loving, gentle way, but now you've sort of upped the ante a bit to say, look, this is a big deal, and you're not seeing this. Now, I do not recommend you take your your best friend with you, because they're going to look at you and say, all right, he's here? Well, he's like your best friend. Of course he's going to agree with you. I recommend you go to someone that you both respect as someone in spiritual authority over you, whether it be... Um, leaders here at the Outback, whether it be uh, pastors, pastoral staff here at the church, just someone that's a leader that you look at, that both of you look at and say, we both respect these people, and we want to have this person come alongside us and help us walk through this. Because if you bring your best friend with you, they're going to look at you and say, well, yeah, of course, your best friend. Of course they're going to agree with you. Of course they're going to be against me, and their defenses go up. So you take someone that you both respect because of that. And again, the goal is not to be a tattletale. The goal is not to say, I'm telling so-and-so what you did. But that's not the goal here. The goal is you're trying to get them to see their sins so they can repent and turn from it and rejoin the body of Christ. Verse 17, and if this doesn't work, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church, and if he refuses to listen even to the church, Let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now, I know this is going to be a really hard verse to explain, so I'll try to explain it um, faithfully but also quickly. This kind of thing has happened at TBC before, where um, we are a church that does, we call it church discipline. But this is not like you go to the person on Monday and they refuse to listen. Tuesday we bring somebody else. Wednesday, we're telling it to the church. This is not how this is supposed to go down. This is a long process that we're talking about here. But there have been people throughout our church history that have um, maybe chosen to, to, to leave their family or, or cheat on their family or cheat on their wives or whatever, husbands. And at some point, people have come alongside and said, hey, you're, you're walking in sin, you're living disobediently to Christ. You are, you're, you are out of fellowship right now because of the way you're living your life. And after multiple confrontations and multiple... Um, of those those kinds of meetings, at some point, we've got to say to everyone, yes, this person is, is walking and, and living in sin. And now I know when I say that, there's something about that that sounds a bit cult-like, right? I understand when when a non-Christian hears that, they're like, what? You, so you publicly say, like, that's, that's what someone, so, how so-and-so is living? It's like, well, this is biblical, but at some point, we've got to say, This person has already chosen by their lifestyle to live out of fellowship with us. We're just making it more public now to say, yes, that's what they're doing um, with their life. But our hope and our goal is they repent and turn back to Jesus. And I want you to hear this. The goal of this is always repentance. That's the goal, it's never to shame, it is never to condemn but it is to deal with sin honestly in a, in a gentle, patient, loving way and to be Jesus to someone as they, as they go through this. But this has happened before at our church, and it's, it's a sad thing. But the point of it is, as we bring more and more people to them to say, look, you're, you're disobedient to Christ, you're disobedient to God's word. Our hope and prayer is that you turn back to Christ and rejoin our fellowship. That's our hope and prayer. And that has to be at the spirit and heart of what, what takes place here. So what I'm saying to you is that I don't ever expect you to have to be the one that carries out the application of that verse, right? Like you don't stand up on Wednesday night and say, I have an announcement to make. So-and-so is living in sin. And I want all of you know to to know about this, right? That's not the proper way of doing things. Um, but there is an element that as more and more people come to them and say, please, please stop walking in the way that you're walking, the hope is that they repent. As they see more and more of their friends come alongside them and say, look, you're, you're destroying your life. What are you doing this for? Why are you living this way? That they would hopefully see the tears in our eyes and say, I want to turn and repent and turn back to Christ, and this is the way it has to be. One last passage, Galatians chapter 6, verses uh, 1 and 2. By far one of my favorite passages of Scripture when it comes to this kind of thing. And, and Paul's writing to the Galatians, in Galatians 6, verses 1 and 2, he says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in his spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So the picture he's painting for us is if someone is caught in a sin, this does not mean like you walked in and caught someone. You're like, oh, I caught you. I caught you, right? This is more like the person is caught by sin, like an animal is caught in a trap. And sometimes when you're walking through life, sometimes you're walking through life and you unintentionally walk into sin, and you fall into sin kind of like a trap. That happens sometimes. And you're caught, and you can't get out. You wonder how you got there. And what this verse is saying, if you find someone like this in the body of Christ, then you who are spiritual, this does not mean there's like a varsity team and a JV team, but this does mean there needs to be someone who's mature in their faith, someone who's not a new believer, needs to come alongside this person and help restore them. Now, the word for restore, I think, is a really vivid picture here because it's talking about, like, when someone breaks a bone. Anybody here broken a bone before and had to have it reset? And the resetting process, if you're not going to surgery, is painful, right? They reset your bone, and you're, like, grimacing in pain. But here's what happens. When they reset the bone... It allows it to heal. And so it's painful, but it's a healing pain. And this is the picture here. This person comes alongside the person struggling with sin, and it might be painful at first, but it's going to lead to healing. It's going to be a healing pain. Whatever pain is caused is only to expose the sin and to confront it with with patience and love. But when they restore this person, it's going to lead to healing. It's going to lead to healing. Then he says, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. What are the ways in which the person who's helping to restore this person, what are the ways this person can be tempted? There's two ways. The first way is they can be tempted when they hear about this person's sin. They can think to themselves, oh, oh, so you, um, you kind of messed around physically with, with that girl? Oh, so what, what was that like, right? and start to get curious about sin and start to get caught up in, in temptation and like being tempted towards the sin itself, there's a second way to be tempted, and it's this. I can't believe you did that with her. I cannot believe how awful and evil and depraved and horrific you are as an individual and as a person. You are completely, right? And so there's the judgmental side where that could be your temptation as the person who's coming, along, coming, coming alongside to restore And so in verse 2, it says, bear each other's burdens. This is not like a, you know, oh, I had a bad day, and I want to bear your burden. This is like you are helping them bear the load of sin. You are helping someone walk through the restoration process as a believer. You are bearing the weight of sin. Now, this is really cool because most of you think, and it's partly true, yeah, Jesus bore all of our sin on the cross. He did but the the role that he gives you to play in that is this, that when someone else falls into sin, like you get to help restore them, and in that way, you are playing Christ to them. You are carrying their load for them. You are helping to bear their burden of sin in the same way that Christ did on the cross. Like you basically get to be Jesus to someone who has fallen off into sin. And so instead instead of the reaction being, how could you, I can't believe you did that, or, oh my gosh, what was that like, I want to hear about that. You get to be Christ to someone and bear the burden of sin for them, the same burden that Christ bore on the cross. And so, in a sense, you get to show them Christ's love and be um, an aspect of his grace in their life. And so I want to close with this one last question for you to think about. Um, The real big question is not just how Should I confront someone in sin? But the big question is this. How should I respond when someone confronts me in my sin? That's the big question. That's what I'm most concerned about for us, myself included. Because writing these steps down is easy. But I want you to think more about how should I respond when someone confronts me in my sin? Now, I know that many of you will hear today's talk and you'll think, man, the church just seems like a really meddlesome place. The church just seems like a cult. The the church seems weird. The church is like everyone and everybody else's business, right? But here's the reality. Like, part of that's biblical, not in an unhealthy way. But if I see something, yeah, I might come alongside you and say, hey, I I noticed this, and I want to help you with this. If you see it in me, like, I'm a sinner, right? Um ask my wife, she'll tell you. And if you see something in me, I want to know how I've wronged you, how I've crossed the line when it comes to sin. And so how do you, can, how do you handle when someone else confronts you and your sin? At your tables, you've got a handout that I want you to have each person to take home with you. And I found this on a blog about uh, six months ago. And it's basically about David and how David could be called a man after God's own heart in spite of the fact that he committed murder and adultery. And here's what separated David. Listen, listen. What separated him was this. It wasn't that he sinned. It was how he responded to his sin when the prophet confronted him in his sin. Take it home and read over that. But go ahead and close that with your last few questions at your tables. Go ahead and discuss as we close out.